if we convert all passenger vehicles uh, to EV, we're only going to see you know five or ten percent difference in emissions. But if we stop uh, you know uh, cattle uh, cattle for human consumption. That's going to be a much, much bigger impact, and that's something we can do very quickly. In the next decade, uh, with advances in, in computing, in artificial intelligence, in automation, uh, our lives are going to change more in the next 10 years than they have in the last 50. Thank you for joining the Change I Am Possible, which is India's first Future Tech Meets Sustainability podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Mr. Vitali Gollum, a serial entrepreneur, venture capitalist and author of Accelerated Startups. He is also a contributing writer at TechCrunch. Mr. Gollum is currently a partner at Drake Star Partners, Drake Star's mobility and energy transition team, which is a global investment banking firm. So should we just kind of like get into a little context for the audience, like a background, who you are, what do you do and your role at Drake Star Partners? Yeah, sure. So uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, I love to uh, speak to global audiences. And uh, of course, India is such a high potential uh, market for <clears throat> technology and innovation. Um, my background is, uh, I like to call myself the Benjamin Button of banking. Uh, usually, uh, people start their careers in investment banking. Um, I have started my career as a young technology entrepreneur uh, in the dot-com days, uh, a little bit before dot-com days. My education is actually in design. And um, I ran my own companies for a number of years. Then uh, when I last, uh, sold my last one, I joined Hewlett Packard and I helped build a corporate venture arm there called HP Tech Ventures, uh, where I led investments in a number of different categories. And then um, I left HP and started my own investment banking boutique firm, GS Capital. Um, and then when that grew to a certain size, I actually merged it with Drake Star Partners. Uh, Drake Star Partners is a top three tech investment bank in the world. Uh, we have uh, eight of our own offices, two partners, over 100 bankers um, all over the world. And uh, we're very, very active. I lead the, uh, the mobility and energy transition practice. Uh, which is everything about autonomy, uh, electric vehicles, and all the infrastructure that comes with it. We will get into the mobility and energy transition. But before we get out of that, and I was on your website, and I saw that, you know, the most popular keynote topics that you're given is uh, the next industrial revolution and where we are headed. So could you like kind of like talk about that in brief, define what's the fourth industrial revolution, what's it going to do, and how is it going to impact us? Yeah, so, you know, we are living through a very interesting time. Uh, everything is going, uh, technology is, is pushing us to go faster and faster. So. So Moore's law applies to not only technology now, but because technology uh, really runs our lives, it, it really applies to our lives. And if you think about uh, where we were, you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, about what, 14 years ago now with the introduction of the new iPhone, uh, of the first iPhone, which uh, put us into the mobile era, you know, our lives have changed quite a bit. And in the next decade, uh, with advances in, in computing, in artificial intelligence, in automation, uh, our lives are going to change more in the next 10 years than they have in the last 50. So for a lot of people, that's uh, you know that's hard to believe, hard to think about, but really if you look at history and, and how things have accelerated, you know, it's only about 100 years ago that we discovered the germ theory, and here we are today uh, with mRNA vaccines. So very exciting time to be alive, um, a little bit scary as well because uh, things are moving faster than, uh, than people can, can, uh, um, can really adopt to. And, and uh, if you think about it, you know, the first industrial revolution took about 80 years to go to go through, right? So where it was a complete remake of the economy, of the world economy, uh, but it, it, it was over the course of about three generations, right? So that means that people didn't really have to get retaught or, or re-educated or change their whole careers or, or learn new skills that fast. 
The second industrial revolution was about 65, 64 years, depends on how you count. And it was truncated by the first world war. So it was a little bit faster. And now we're going through an industrial revolution now, arguably, that is all happening within one generation. And what that means is that you have uh, incredible strife. People are not able to adopt uh, fast enough. And you're going to see, you know, on the one hand, you see people being wildly successful and there's more billionaires than ever, ever was. And it's in, in some areas, it's easy to raise money. It's easy to really be successful. But for a lot of people that don't have the education, educational background, they're really not well positioned to succeed in this new economy. So that's something that's, uh, that's a big concern. And uh, governments are the only ones capable of, of really, uh, you know, kind of pulling strings together and providing the right support and the right safety nets for people that are not able to participate fully in this new world of technology. You said this this ten year is going to be the the decade with the most uh, transformation. Could you kind of give us like uh, a little uh, insight, a foresight, or uh, maybe prediction on what the ten years is going to look like? You know, for individuals as well as businesses, and how is it going to create transformation? Yeah, I mean, you have to look about uh, look at uh, the things that are really growing fast that are making an impact, right? Connectivity, right? We, we have faster and faster internet speeds. We have. Uh, mobile internet speeds now that we couldn't dream about just you know five years ago, uh, which opens up a whole new world. And when we have true 5G, that means that all devices will be connected to the internet all the time, and without you know setting up routers or jumping Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi, right? So that's coming in the next decade, and that's going to make a huge impact when the entire world is basically bridged. You know, the physical and digital worlds are connected. That's one um, exciting things in the healthcare field and in food tech. Right. We're, we're understanding better how to program biology. Right? And that means that we have huge advances in, in, uh, in healthcare and medicine. You know, mRNA vaccine is essentially a programmed vaccine, right? Um, for example, and, and thankfully we have that with COVID. Um, but also think about what that's going to do for the food supply because we're going to see synthetic uh, meats, synthetic proteins uh, that are created animal free. And that's actually a huge thing for the environment. I just uh, interviewed uh, a friend of mine and, uh, and, and a very famous uh, now CEO of Bugatti, Bugatti Rimac, uh, Mate Rimac. And we we're talking about, you know, if, if we convert all passenger vehicles uh, to EV, we're only going to see, you know, five or 10% difference in emissions. But if we stop, uh, you know, uh, the cattle, uh, raising cattle for human consumption, that's going to be a much, much bigger impact. I and mean, that's something we can do very quickly. So that's very exciting. Um, and then, of course, um, artificial intelligence, you know, the, the computing power that we're seeing that's growing exponentially. Um, you know, just wait till we have uh, quantum computing at our disposal. We're getting there and we'll get there in the next five to 10 years for sure. Uh, we're going to have much, much faster computing, which will automate just about everything. So. Um, the nirvana, uh, to use an Indian word, is uh, is that everybody you know would have abundant resources and the technology would be uh, doing all the physical labor and all the things that uh, people are doing now, trading their time for. But in reality, we have to be very careful about um, automation really creating the first trillionaires and, and people that have hold of, of artificial intelligence technology kind of hoarding it and using that as an advantage in business. Uh, rather than kind of spreading that wall. So it's a little bit, uh, you know, it, it, we have a, a fork in the road right now as a as society, and we can choose to, to really share the abundance and make sure that the lives of our entire species improve on average, um, or we can kind of ignore it and let 
uh, artificial intelligence become um, something that is used by a few uh, to gain huge advantage over everybody else. You mentioned about this convergence of physical and digital digital world. You know, I think almost uh, some of the biggest companies are working on creating a metaverse. You know, digitizing everything. You know, and, and pro biology, synthetic biology. I think we are in the cusp of redesigning healthcare, future of food. You mentioned that. You know. Uh, it, it, the the whole meat production is, is so problem, uh, problematic besides the cruelty cruelty part you know it, it's a large factor when it co comes to carbon uh, emission and i get to talk a lot of to, to leaders from around the world different who are fronting different technologies and i see that there's this huge and massive uh, uh, transformation going on, on each and every industry sector and as you mentioned you know that that eventually or over dependency on technology where tech doing everything and this automation which is growing could create a huge problem over here again in india because of the the covid what that has done is that it's forced industries to kind of social distance so there is you know lesser and lesser human workforce and there's more automation and eventually i think maybe in in this decade itself automation is going to be a huge factor rendering people jobless you know so there are these lots of pros but that there are the there's cons also of the growth of technology i mean you know so would you like to spend a little time on that and address the pros and cons of technology yeah i mean technology you know, if you look at the history of labor in society, right, um, you know, artificial intelligence provides a huge uh, leverage factor, right? So we're talking about not, you know, I am capital and there's labor and I employ five people and I get, uh, you know, a little bit of benefit of all of their work and I get to manage them. But we're talking about orders of magnitude, right? So artificial intelligence could effectively in a factory uh, be, you know, free labor of, you know, millions of people worth, right, in a factory. Now, um, that's that's really what I'm talking about, is that, that sort of scale. We're talking about completely automated factories where you don't need humans. Um, and you already have that in China. You know, I, I've, I visited China as far back as, you know, six, seven, eight years ago in the factories, and you'd go to one floor where there would be, you know, uh, people in yellow bunny suits were the workers and then you know one out of 20 was in a green suit that was the supervisor and then you go to the next floor and it's a fully automated line where you just have the the managers in the green suits and very few people so that's something to watch out for um you know i can't speak so much for india uh, but i can speak for united states and there's been an argument for the last 20 plus years where a lot of the manufacturing went to cheaper countries because the, the trade uh, tariffs were re reduced with NAFTA and, and, other, um, and other agreements. And um, a lot of people that were low skill, kind of uh, blue collar uh, laborers, they lost their jobs. And that's created a huge, you know, huge amount of strife in this country. And the question is, okay, do we bring manufacturing back? That's a political argument, bring manufacturing back to America. Well, first of all, people are used to paying very cheap prices for these products going to Walmart, the same people that will be working in the factory. Um, so if you bring it back to America and the cost of labor is much, much higher, then all those products will be much, much higher, right? And the economy will be smaller, first of all. Second of all, when you bring these jobs back you know, in today's world, because of automation, we're not bringing these jobs back the same way they were 20 years ago. You're going to bring it back and it'll be a factory, a factory full of robots, not of people. Right, there'll be very few new, new jobs created. So what's the answer to this? The answer to this is to, you know, how do we bridge the gap? You know, the, the reality is we're not going to stop technology. We're not going to 
uh, prevent it from from becoming automated. And in reality, nobody should want to, you know, if they have a choice, not want to, you know, work with their muscles, you know, physical labor, if, if a robot can do it, they should be working with their mind. That's what makes them special as a human and and more interesting you know than a robot so the question is how do we bridge the gap how do we create uh, how do we educate those people how do we help them transition for a certain part of the workforce it's going to be difficult or impossible you're not going to take somebody who is you know in their 50s who has a very basic maybe high school education or not even finished high school who was a you know in a factory moving things around or you know very soon a truck driver Right, which is the most popular single profession in the U.S. By the way, uh, right now there's there's uh, there's not enough of truck drivers, but we know within a decade we'll have automated driving, so that'll be the same problem. Well, how do you take that person and you give them the skills to become a software developer? Right, there's a huge deficit of software developers right now in the United States. At any point, there's at least half a million jobs open for software development. So that's the question: is how do we bridge that gap? Um, and the only way is really is to create some kind of form of universal basic income. I believe, you know, it may be a controversial statement for a banker, but uh, I think that's the only way to bridge that gap uh, to where this generation will have a transition and these people won't fall through the bottom of the economy. But looking forward to the future generations, we need to invest heavily into education uh, to create the right type of skills for the future labor markets. And that's that's going to be really the, the path forward. So how do we support the existing transition and people that are frankly, you know, they're a little bit beyond their years of kind of restarting their career um, and are not able to make that transition? And then how do we support and make sure that we have a workforce that's aligned for the future? There is so much opportunity with technology, but then there's also the other side, you know, I mean, that it is going to cause huge disruption for the people who are not vested in it and do not understand it and, and are not in the capacity to kind of leverage that, you know. So I hope that, I mean, we, we have conversations and build and are prepared for the future of this rather than be disrupted the way we got disrupted by COVID. You know, now talking about autonomous vehicle, the, the future of mobility, you know, it, it all sounds super exciting, but the, the powers that be are still holding on to you know the the fossil fuel industry and the, the ICE vehicles they're not going to you know let go of it so easily how do we transition to the future of mobility yeah i don't think it's really you know there are a lot of people that are proponents of electric vehicles that have this kind of nefarious concept of the auto industry it's not really that you know there's this big evil you know industry or or some kind of conspiracy that's trying to prevent electric vehicles it's really purely purely economics and this is coming from you know somebody who's who's been in the electric vehicle space and, and focus on innovation there for a number of years. Um, so what I'll we'll tell you, what's really interesting is that in the last year, uh, electric vehicles went from maybe to completely inevitable. Everybody understands electric vehicles are the future. Nobody is, nobody is doubting it. Nobody's fighting against it. Every single automotive manufacturer is not pushing aggressively. Mercedes announced something like six different uh, electric vehicles just this year. So you're going to see dozens and dozens of electric vehicles coming to market. Um, it's no, no question anymore. Um, it's going to take some time you know, for, for this transition to happen. Uh, right now, we're under 2% of passenger vehicles that are being sold electric. Um, and there was a big jump of 40% market share you know, year to year last year uh, because of COVID. And we're going to see that accelerate. So in the next decade, you know, we'll probably get to something like maybe 30, 40% of electric vehicles being, uh, of vehicles being sold be electric. So that's really important. Um, the other part of it is autonomy. Autonomy is much further away uh, than everybody expects. Uh, part of it is, of course, Elon Musk, you know, really talking about it and just being over his skis and, and over promising for a number of years now. 
And that's created, unfortunately, a certain, um, certain picture in people's minds. But in reality, unfortunately, we're still years away. We're still kind of a generation of technology away from safe, uh, really kind of acceptable level safety in autonomous vehicles on roads. But we already have autonomous vehicles in mines, in off-road, in, you know, in, in construction environments, in limited environments. Um, so that's already happening. In the next few years, you're going to see more vehicles, let's say, and, you know, depending on the market, but you'll see more uh, dedicated autonomous vehicles like Zooks, Waymo, et cetera, in the US uh, and, and maybe Europe next. So those things are happening. What that's going to mean is when you have fully autonomous vehicles, they essentially become, you, you don't really need to necessarily own it, right? It'll be much cheaper for you to call, you know, let's say 70% of the cost of an Uber is probably the driver, right? So imagine if there's a fleet out there that's owned uh, by a company that is fully autonomous and doesn't have drivers, by the way, again, another job being taken away. Um, but with that autonomous fleet, it'll be much easier, much even more cheaper now uh, to, for you to be able to not have to own the car, right? So if you live in San Francisco, it doesn't make sense to own a car. You're walking around most times in New York. Uh, the cost of insuring it, of putting it in, in a garage, all these things is going to be, uh, is, is far outweighs, you know, even if you Uber all day, every day, right? The thousands of dollars that you, that you would spend really on a car every month. Uh, it goes away. So that creates uh, a few different second order effects. So for example, uh, who owns the vehicle? Uh, how does insurance work? Um, can I send my kids now to school in an autonomous vehicle that will drop them off safely and not me not having to drive them every morning and, and pick them up? You know, all these things are going to happen. And that's just on the road. Uh, we're talking about in aviation, we're talking about a few different things happening. First of all, synthetic fuels that are much cleaner. That's coming to market. There's a lot of money behind that already. Um, we're talking about electric airplanes coming probably within the next decade. We're going to see the first electric airplanes, uh, which are uh, lower emissions. And by the way, aviation really doesn't contribute that much to, uh, to pollution, relatively speaking, to everything else. So it's a pretty minor point, but it will make it more efficient and cheaper to fly, right? And, uh, and then we're going to see VTOLs, right? So uh, from single passenger kind of autonomous VTOLs, uh, like a Kitty Hawk all the way to Joby, which is a piloted four-seater, um, which is going to create kind of a new market, or that's the hope. If it can be, you know, four times cheaper than flying in a helicopter, it will create a bigger market for people to, you know, take the advantage of that. It, it, it's not going to be cheaper than taking a, an Uber, you know, car anytime soon. But uh, if I'm flying, you know, if I need to get to an important meeting, from, uh, you know, in downtown LA, and instead of sitting in the car for two hours, I can take a $50 flight and get there in, in five minutes or 10 minutes, I will do it. So those, those things are coming on the horizon, um, you know, but all in all, a, a transportation is the biggest industry in the world. It's a $5 trillion industry with electrification, with hydrogen uh, in certain sectors, with autonomy coming in. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a magical uh, time for this industry. You know, it, it's the biggest change in the industry in a hundred years. Uh, you know, one last thing I'll say is I'm also involved with uh, Hyperloop TT. Uh, Hyperloop TT uh, Transportation Technologies was the first company founded um, to commercialize the concept of hyperloops. Six weeks after the Elon Musk uh, SpaceX white paper that came out, and um, I can tell you, um, you know, I'm, I've been involved with the company for several years, but I can tell you it's very, very exciting to see something that uh, can go so fast, uh, so efficient, generates more electricity than it uses, 
um, you know, it's, it's a little bit complicated because you have to deal with, uh, you know, this is really an infrastructure project, government level infrastructure project that has to be built. But once it's built, you know, it really um, will be much better than, than middle distance or short distance flights because you're going city center to city center in 15 minutes with much easier security, uh, much more energy efficient. Uh, so all these things will happen, you know, and that's what we have to look forward to in the next decade or two. Lovely. The future of mobility looks super exciting, you know, right from EVs to AVs to uh, S solar vehicles, you know, there are, there are uh, the startups over here in India are working on EV tolls, they're working on Hyperloop. So it, it looks super exciting. Would, would you like to talk about the latest innovation that you've seen, seen across because you've been invested in the space, you're talking to maybe some of the top companies from uh, around the world, you know. So would you like to talk a little bit about the, the, the insights that you have of the companies who are building some great innovation in the space? Yeah, I should be careful about which companies I mentioned because as an investment banker, I have uh, you know a lot of these companies as clients. Uh, I'll also plug my podcast, Accelerated, which I just did it. You know, I'm in the middle of a series of actually interviewing a number of different CEOs and founders of very impactful um, mobility companies. So, including CEO of Hyperloop, including CEO of Remats, uh, former uh, CEO of Canoe, you know, many other people. So. Um, if anybody is really interested in the topic, they can dive in and spend many, many hours uh, learning about uh, from these leaders, you know, just like I do every day. But uh, happy to, you know, with the time that we have left, uh, jump into any, any questions you might have that are interesting for your audience. Right. What, what, what do you think about the uh, market opportunity here in India? Would you be interested in kind of partnering, investing in startups here in India? Because we have startups, like I said, you know, across the field when it comes to the future of mobility space. Yeah, I mean, uh, India is a really interesting market. Uh, no secret. Um, the expectation is that India's population and economy will surpass China at some point, which will, you know, in the next probably two decades, uh, has a very good chance of becoming number one economy in the world. Uh, that said, there's a big gap in, in wealth, right, in India, especially, uh, where the question is, yes, maybe you have a very large uh, population, but only a small portion of that population is active in the economy that you can sell to. Uh, hopefully over time, uh, India, much like China, was miraculously able to do over one generation, is able to bring more people into the middle class and, and grow the economy and, and mature the, uh, the country and, you know, from a developing country into a developed country. So um, that said, you know, when a country is growing so fast and the economy is changing so quickly, there's absolutely, you know, a million different opportunities um, because everything is changing and technology can come in and, and do things much more efficiently uh, and make things much more accessible. So uh, there are, you know, lots of uh, venture firms, you know, Silicon Valley venture firms that set up shop in India and you know, years ago even to start looking at opportunities. Um, and one approach is, of course, to replicate uh, business models that have worked really well in, in the Western world, let's say in the U.S. and in, in Europe, um, and replicate that for India and kind of localize it. So things like e-commerce and, and uh, different things that are con consumer services that are kind of obvious. Um, deep technology is, is kind of a different topic because you need a couple of different components there uh, that are important to, to be competitive with the rest of the world. Why Silicon Valley, what it is, is because you, know, you have the best and the brightest in the world coming to Silicon Valley every day, and you have two top universities that are feeding innovation, Stanford and, and UC Berkeley, you know, right, right here that are originating a lot of this. So will, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult for other cities, even Los Angeles, um, or New York or, or other, you know, very, very mature, very big cities, it's very difficult for them to compete on deep technology because the cluster of innovation, the, the ecosystem 
uh, that's needed, all the different key, uh, all the different players in that ecosystem are not necessarily present the same way. Uh, India has, of course, the famous ITT, um, but uh, you know it may not be enough to have just one university feeding it. There, there needs to be a lot of uh, a lot of kind of collaboration between government, you know, creating the economic conditions for innovation, all those things, uh, to be able to generate kind of deep technology that is going to mature into, you know, the, the next artificial intelligence uh, innovation or the next uh, material science innovation, those kind of things. So uh, just to kind of sum it up, you know, it's a question of uh, where do you put your investments and your resources? Uh, it's a very e it's very easy to understand that you know you can take business models and and use you know it's not a technology leverage but it's a business model innovation that you can apply to a really big audience in India. Uh, deep technology that's uh, that's going to be a little bit trickier and uh, you want to see you know you need that cluster um, in the same place that will support that technology to be competitive with Silicon Valley or another place. Right. Uh, we can close off with a little bit of information on uh, Drake Star's partners, mobility and transition. Where do you see the future of mobility going in next this 10 years? India and uh, where, where do you see the future of mobility going? Yeah, just to wrap it up, I mean, uh, mobility, you know, I, I think you'll see a huge difference um, in access, in, in uh, lowering the cost and all the barriers in mobility. That's kind of the net effect of uh, electric and autonomy and and really uh, things becoming public transportation that are usable by more of the population just more accessible easier cheaper faster better um, Drake star you know we're an investment bank what that means for most people don't know what an investment bank is we help companies we get hired by companies to help them raise capital or sell themselves or buy another company or restructure themselves um, so we're a service provider uh, venture capitalists invest money. Um, our audience for a lot of the transactions that we do are venture capitalists or corporates who would invest in the companies that we represent. So just to be clear, kind of what we do, I also angel invest on the side. Uh, I used to be a venture capitalist at HP, as I mentioned. So all those things, um, uh, you know, all those things are kind of different parts of the of the mix. But uh, huge potential in India. Um, you know, I've been to many, many countries, I think 70 plus countries, but uh, I haven't been to India yet. Uh, so. I, I hope to uh, fix that uh, as soon as possible. So thanks yeah. for having me, Eddie. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks to your audience for listening. Thank you. Really appreciate you taking time and being part of the show, Vitaly. And I hope that, I mean, not just virtually, maybe we can have you physically in India and possibly create business, you know, because the, the world is, is looking exciting. And I mean, you know, they're gone are the days, you know, where people were restricted by borders, you know, because of COVID and technology. I think, you know, no matter where you sit, you know, if you have an internet and a desire and intent, you can create huge businesses because there's opportunities everywhere. It's just that the only thing is stopping is your desire and intent and, and the future of mobility is looking super exciting exciting so thank you for being part of the podcast and to my listeners if you like what you see in here then please 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 press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye bye thank you thank you Vitaly. really appreciate it thank this. you Eddie.